What a day, Hamad. Huh, it is um, a big day. An unfortunate day, but it is a big day nevertheless and worthy of a discussion. discussion. All right, how's it going, Publius? Well, just uh, another day hard at work on the farm. Beans are at peg. Life is good, Mod. How are you? All is well here, and you know, glad glad to hear that. And definitely, uh, that everything is well uh, at the farm. So, Publius, as you said, big day today. Um, FTX, the second uh, biggest exchange, um, you know had a bank run and didn't it seems that they didn't survive it let's say um so ftx is completely different uh, than beanstalk um or let's say you know um generally different than beanstalk um so so they had advertised so they had advertised sure <laughs> but a bank run is a bank run um you know um, what are your thoughts on you know what happened uh, with FTX, and then maybe uh, not not the comparison on you know on the differences between them, but on maybe the differences on how each you know um, deals, let's say, with a bank run. Mod, can you still hear me? I can hear you now. Sorry, I had to change out my headphones. They died. So uh, could you just repeat the question? Sorry about that. Yeah, so I was, I was saying, you know, I started off by saying that FTX um, had a bank run, and it doesn't seem that, you know, they, they, they survived that bank run. Um, and while, you know, the, the comparison is not, you know, FTX and Beanstalk, but I was thinking that maybe we can touch on a comparison on how, you know, Beanstalk deals uh, with a bank run. So I wanted to gather maybe a little bit of your thoughts. Uh, first of all, you know, on the bank run with FTX uh, experience, and then, you know, how does, how does Beanstalk generally deal with bank runs? Sure. So it, in practice, what, what happened, or at least as we currently understand it with FTX, is that they clearly were not holding their customers' deposits in the exchange. Uh, one-to-one and so there was some credit that was being issued to ftx from the from its depositors not unlike uh, a bank depositor uh receiving a bank deposit in practice but obviously in this case ftx had marketed itself as uh not not doing that and therefore when 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 it experienced a bank run, uh, people people now don't have access to the funds that they thought they had, and that's not dissimilar to how people think that a bank is going to always be able to redeem their deposits when they want uh, or honor withdrawals, but often can't. So, how is that different uh, from Beanstalk? Well, in some ways, it's very similar. When there's a bank run, there's going to be a decrease in the value that people can receive when they exit the system. Uh, that that can't be prevented anytime you have a credit-based system. But fundamentally, the, there, there are a couple couple differences. One is that Beanstalk is a smart contract and exists on-chain, and you can always verify where the assets are. And in practice when you deposit or when anyone deposits beans in Beanstalk, uh, Beanstalk holds those assets. Uh, so whether it's beans or LP tokens, those assets are never rehypothecated. Now, in the case of Celsius or FTX, it seems like those assets were then used for other things. And in the case of Beanstalk, it's not unreasonable to think that in the future, it will be possible to, for users to use their their deposits uh, in loans or in derivatives and other other financial products. But fundamentally, Beanstalk as a as a smart contract is never going to take your assets and do anything with them. Beanstalk is designed to be entirely neutral, and so the question that becomes. How does a, a totally neutral party, Beanstalk in this case, handle a bank run? And 
there's really two they're they're related but the question is one how does beanstalk treat each of the parties during a bank run and two how is beanstalk designed to recover from a bank run because ultimately you can't prevent it and in the case of beanstalk there's really two sides of the market fundamentally there's pods which are the creditors of the system pod holders and there's the depositors in the system and in both cases based on how we've discussed being stock so far in juxtaposition to a bank or FTX, the primary difference is that Beanstalk will, by definition, always honor its its obligations or its uh, liabilities. Or there, there's a million ways to to think about it. But in the in the case of the silo, that would be uh, accounts that have deposited beans or LP tokens in the silo. They always have the ability to withdraw those beans or LP tokens. Uh, in the case of the an exploit, for example, uh, that could be compromised, but the the contract itself is always designed to honor that. And from a the, the pods, the pods are debt that is payable according to a a condition, effectively. And so Beanstalk is designed never to default on its pod obligation, but simply it may take forever in theory, for it to pay it back, but it would never default. So the depositors can always withdraw. Currently, at the top of each hour, uh, those assets become claimable, but uh, there's an RFC on GitHub to get that down to to zero uh, instant withdrawals. And really, perhaps to digress a bit, the the fundamental question is, what are the incentives during a bank run? Because if the premise is that there is a bank run and a bank run is inevitable, and anytime you have credit, it seems like a bank run is is inevitable. The so, so Publius, go, go ahead, man. Before we continue into that, I wanted to touch maybe on a on a point uh, that you've you've mentioned. So, um, in a typical bank run, or let's say you know what FTX had right now is that their assets um, were illiquid. Uh, so we're not gonna you know, or maybe we can later on talk about you know the value of those assets. But what they had uh, problems with is you know uh, we don't have liquidity, and then they had to pause withdrawals. Beanstalk doesn't do that. It's it's it, Beanstalk never goes illiquid. So you know deposit uh, depositors can always withdraw their assets. The question then becomes at what price would those assets be convertible? Is this true so far? Yeah, I mean, we can be maybe a little more technical, and apologies for rambling a little bit, but just trying to be more technical, which is that in the case of Beanstalk, it's assets and liabilities, uh, excuse me, maybe the best way to say it is its liabilities are never uh, mismatched relative to its assets. And if you think about the depositors or the deposits and the pods as liabilities, Pods are don't have a fixed maturity, so there's no question of time duration mismatch. And Beanstalk can mint beans to pay the pods whenever it wants. And the deposits, this is where FTX went wrong. It had a mismatch in the assets and liabilities in terms of assets themselves. And at some point, the their liabilities started to significantly outweigh their assets. Uh, it seems like because of a run on FTT, the FTX token. So that's, in the case of of Beanstalk, the depositors can always withdraw their deposits. But as you said, Maud, the question is, what are those deposits worth when you redeem them? So that goes into now the bank run question of what happens during a bank run, which happy to talk about that, but perhaps you have other questions as well first. Okay, great. So, um, of course, you know, Beanstalk might pause, um, but Beanstalk never pauses because, hey, you know, we can only um, service so many withdrawals in a day. In, in theory, all, you know, um, depositors can withdraw all of their assets. And then the question becomes, as again, at what value? So convertibility then, uh, Publius, how, how do you think or how does convertibility play a role, you know, in, in a bank run or in the spe- in, in specific of uh, a case of Beanstalk? And I guess this brings back, uh, the, uh, you know, the definition of what Bean is, uh, the currency, that is, you know, Bean is non-convertible. Can you maybe touch a little bit upon that and, you know, what, why is it maybe important or what role does it play? Yeah, I mean, convertibility 
in this context perhaps means more than one thing, right? In, in the case of beans, uh, the question is, what are beans convertible to? Well, you can convert them to bean deposits, and you can convert bean deposits back to beans, but you can't convert beans to dollars. You have to to trade them into dollars at some market value, and so it, that's really the question: is where is convertibility promised? And that's where you have the asset and liabilities created. And as soon as you have, in this case, FTX trading or changing the exposure of its of its liabilities to or of its assets, excuse me, to no longer match its liabilities, that's where you run into a problem if there's a bankrupt. Uh, so in, in the case of Beanstalk, it, it never does that by by definition. Yeah. Okay. And um, maybe this brings the second part uh, um, of of the question. Um, so it seems um, like, and of course, you know, this is just from the general understanding. It could be wrong, uh, but it seems uh, that what um, FTX did is that um, it, you know, gave out a loan, um, and you know, they say the loan was uh, to Alameda, uh, but you know, irrespective of where the loan was given to, the collateral it seems was in FTT, uh, and then FTT, you know, wasn't uh, liquid. Uh, in that sense. And then you had CZ uh, where, you know, he tweeted uh, two points. The first one was, you know, never use a token that you created as collateral. And Publius, you co-tweeted there and you said you'd amend it to never use a token you created as collateral for a loan denominated in another token. Can can you maybe share your thoughts on what what did you mean by that? Yeah, well, I feel like this this is the fundamental point around convertibility, which is that Let's take the the bean deposits for an for an example. To some extent, you can consider a bean deposit to be a loan to Beanstalk. You bought your beans, and now you've lent them to Beanstalk. Sort of like depositing dollars in a bank is a, is really a loan to that bank. And so the question is, Beanstalk, how can it honor that obligation? Well, it's because it, it's always holding those tokens, and in a similar way, the the pods that Beanstalk has issued, uh, it, it's a liability, but it's a liability denominated in its own token. And therefore, it's acceptable for the protocol to, uh, uh, in theory, acquire infinite liabilities that it could pay off. Now, I think one of the key, you know, it was meant to be a short tweet, but if you dive a little bit deeper into it, the other thing that's really important here is around time. So even in the case where you have uh, the ability to to denominate the loans in the currency of your choice, let's say such that it's it's well matched. If the let's say pods, if and, and this is the way ESD ultimately, or one of the reasons ESD failed, uh, but you have these these loans or these bonds that become payable in the near future, then you have to roll over the debt and the cost of rolling over the debt is really how, how you can go bankrupt. So in the case of Beanstalk, it's not just that the debt is denominated in its own currency, it's that that debt doesn't have any fixed maturity date. It's, it's even more complicated than that, but uh, the, the concept is that, and the other thing that we were kind of alluding to is that if you have lending markets in in the beanstalk economy that's not necessarily a problem for beanstalk uh such as, so long as those loans are all denominated in beans where it becomes a problem is if the loans are denominated in other assets and then the decrease in the price of beans results in a complete default on all of those loans which is what we're we're seeing in the FTX instance. So as long as the loans are denominated in beans, a decrease in the value of the bean price shouldn't shouldn't disrupt any of the borrowers at the end of the day. It may disrupt lenders, but only the lenders that then have their own obligations that are in the bean stock ecosystem or denominated in beans. So that's really the juxt- that's that's the gist of the tweet, which is that if the liabilities and assets are all denominated in the same basis which could potentially be beans that that's how you get 
get away from this. And at the macro level, I feel like we're, we're very much witnessing that play out in dollars where there's a major liquidity crunch across the board, but the result is that everyone needs dollars because everyone has agreed to denominate all of their liabilities in dollars. So the problem wouldn't be that people are borrowing beans. Uh, in fact, if you had some sort of uh, credit crunch within the bean economy, you'd expect that to actually result in more beans being minted, which is what you'd want at that point because there's a need for more beans. So it's hard to say exactly how this will all uh, play out at scale. Uh, but, but that's really the, that's the main point. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the characteristics uh, that you've described are unique, uh, I'd say, um, to a money issuer. Uh, if you are not, uh, you know, the entity that's in control of the, of the currency or you're not the currency issuer, then you don't have, um, you know, the leverage or, or the capabilities and abilities of, of what you described. Yeah, and sorry, I feel like we're we're rambling uh, a little bit more than usual and not particularly coherent, but that's just because it's such such incredible data and still processing it in many ways. So sorry for not being as, as articulate as we'd like. Not at all. I think you you've been very clear and answered um, and touched you know upon the questions. And to our audience, if anything was unclear, please you know drop it on the town hall chat or join us on stage and you know maybe share some thoughts of yours. Okay, um, this may not be a question, or it started as a question, and then you know, there was a discussion uh, going uh, back and forth about it. And it have it has to do with um, you know the fungible uh, deposit or the FD uh, BDV. And I think through it, uh, Bacchus and Safi, uh, you know, uh, Bacchus was asking if there's any protocol that was like you know working on the FD BDV, and then they shared the Sol uh, or root Sol uh, contract. Um, and in it, uh, they commented uh, about the inclusion of some uh, functions, let's say, in the contract. Uh, and one of them is, you know, the borrow loan or repay loan. And I believe in it, it does the contract owner have the ability to let, you know, to to mint uh, FDBDV that's not that's not backed. Publius, uh, first of all, maybe did you read um, um, or skim through the questions, and maybe you can uh, share an answer uh, to that, or how you know how will. Um, First of all, why, what was the intent of having those functions in the call, and then how would it work or on the contract, and then how would it work? Sure. So, so kind of making this up because I've not had a chance to review the contracts for the latest version. But our understanding is that the normal uh, FDBDV token that has already been audited and has been finalized, and per the DAO discussion from last Thursday, another model that had been considered was from an economics perspective, it's not clear necessarily whether the loan actually needs to be made from Beanstalk. And so believe that the idea was to potentially simply have root or any issuer of the root token uh, be able to effectively deploy a a permissioned version of root that has a credit component and not, not sure that, that to be frank, don't know what the current plan is on that front. So don't know if, if the plan is to use that for, for the, the world cup stuff that's happening or, or not. But the concept is that there's already the root token code, which has been audited and, think that that's all supposed to get published in the next week or so. And the credit-based model uh, that, that is being referenced, don't know what the plans are with that, but that's effectively unrelated or in addition to the normal FDBDV uh, as we currently understand it. But again, not, not 100% up to speed on that, so uh, could be speaking at a turn. Okay, uh, but in theory, um, let's say the risk uh, or all of you know what's with the FDBDV is um, contained there, so you know it doesn't impact uh, non-FDBDV holders or just like Beanstalk in general. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly candid, after a day like today, it's very hard to be enthusiastic about a, a model like that where now the the issuer itself is effectively 
being relied upon to, to do a good job with those funds, which creates exactly the asset liability mismatch that we were talking about. And given that root or the issuer of the, the, the credit backed roots, cause it's permissionless. Anyone could do this. Uh, now you basically have a centralized issuer of credit. I feel like that's, that's very much the problem that is trying to be solved by Beanstalk and a lot of the tech that's being built here. So don't, don't know if that's moving in the right direction, but think that at least from an economics perspective, it is very interesting and certainly points us all in the right direction on where we're heading, even though I think we all kind of know where we're heading, which is how to get real markets and credit on chain and not just credit for, for Beanstalk as, as, a, as an entity as a whole, but even get as close to competitive if, with off-chain credit for individuals and entities on-chain as we can. So it's definitely neat, but don't have too much knowledge on plans to actually launch it, but thought it was, uh, at least as we understood it, it was more of a, a, a proof of concept. And the root devs are, are pretty fucking awesome, to be frank. So uh, not sure that there was much uh, intent in them just whipping that up as opposed to just, you know, it, 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 it's pretty trivial. So uh, with that in mind, wouldn't, at least from, from this end, haven't, haven't heard too much about it since the last down meeting. So uh, don't, wouldn't, wouldn't expect too much there, but, but perhaps we could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, and that's my understanding as well, uh, where uh, Manifold shared that Root was exploring other uh, other opportunities. And during the, the call anyways, it was mentioned that it wasn't the only uh, plan. Yeah, and it's, it's worth saying, you know, the, the Root token itself, uh, we're very excited about it and what it contributes to the Beanstalk ecosystem. We've been working closely with Root to, to try to get it as right as possible and there should be a formal white paper and stuff that we've also been uh, uh, working on with them as well, coming out uh, in conjunction. So all of this should be pretty pretty well documented, and therefore, uh, yeah, the the at least to our knowledge, the credit based model, uh, which is being referenced in that in the that latest contract, there that's not. <laughs> there's certainly no white paper or anything to go along with that. So we'd be surprised if that's that's where things are going at the moment. But but could be could be in the dark there. Twelve days away from the World Cup, we you know everyone here is rooting uh, for root. I'm pretty excited uh, to see to see it you know come play in action or be live. Same here, same here. Very excited. All right. Um, just given that FTX is an exchange, um, a lot of a lot of people highlighted, you know, um, how decentralized exchanges um, and specific, you know, wells uh, are needed now than ever. And you know, Harry Smith uh, shares the sentiment and asks, you know, the typical or usual question of when wells. Any any updates there, uh, Publius, or you know, expectation on how how that's going? Yeah. So, in fact, in in the general chat. Uh, a couple of days ago, we were responding to the when wells question. And, well, I guess we said when wells would be really the, the right thing, the right way to characterize what, what happened. And a couple of, th- a couple of things. One, we, we then clarified that wells v1 wouldn't really fix these problems, whereas wells v2 would. But as we think more about the architecture and continue to implement it or getting more potentially excited about even Wells V1 or Wells V1.1, so something that could be live very shortly after the, the first couple pools go live, could actually start to really reduce negative or, or toxic flow would be the, the technical term uh, for liquidity providers in a variety of, of ways and getting pretty excited about it. So... Don't don't have any more of an update on timeline. Definitely agree with a lot of the sentiment that it would be really cool to 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 get the ETH pool live uh, as ETH continues to get routed, as opposed to after it's <laughs> back up and chugging during a bull market. Uh, so don't don't have any more updates on timeline, but totally aligned with the sentiment that this is high priority and. 
on this end getting very excited about what it's going to look like. But in order to get it, get the architecture right, uh, such that it can facilitate all this, all, all this stuff that that we think is really going to help move DeFi forward. It's not, it's not the most trivial. So a lot of the work on the pumps is already done. Uh, a lot of the work on the wells is almost done. And so therefore the pumps and the wells are hopefully going to be ready for audit in the next couple of weeks. And then in order to get things live, there will still need to be other work done on aqueducts and a couple of other parts potentially. So not sure exactly when everything will go, go live on chain, but it, it things are things are moving ahead full steam on the wells uh from 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 this end yeah and i think um maybe a lot of the excitement around um or some of it let's say not uh, not a lot of it uh, is around maybe capturing uh, the price of eth as it, as it, you know as it rises but you know today is an is an example of no one can really predict maybe some could have uh, but the majority or the market in general can't really predict, you know, uh, what's happening, and we see we see the price uh, of ETH, you know, reflecting that. Wasabi had a question um, on, you know, what you described as toxic flow. What 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 did you mean by that, Publius? So maybe there's some good Twitter threads that we can try to drop. I don't know. Read some good stuff recently, but the 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 concept is that. Providing liquidity on an AMM as they currently work is such that the price in the AMM, you expect to get arbitrage towards the efficient market price. And what that means is for basically any any liquidity pool, that arbitrage, which is repricing the pool to the correct price, is really getting charged to the LP. And so there's a, a, a tr an, ex an exchange of value from the pool itself, from the providers of the pool, the market makers, to, to the arbitragers that are, are repricing the pool and doing so in, in typically a risk-neutral or a delta-neutral or a risk-free million ways to characterize the trade. But uh, the point is they're getting paid for taking on very little risk to reprice the pool, which is sort of valuable to the pool, but not really at the cost of market makers. And so that's the, that's the toxic flow problem. And the concept is, well, how do you fix that? On the one hand, it's really hard to fix the core problem, which is that orders for different assets on chain need to be canceled or updated when there's new information. And so it's really hard, given the, the constraints of uh, chain transactions, uh, transaction throughput, and the nature of sequencing transactions where you have MEV. Basically, the concept is that if you don't have fair transaction sequencing, at best, uh, there's MEV to, to, to perform this arbitrage. So it's literally impossible without fair transaction ordering assuming the current LP model to get around this. And so the, the potential solution, which is effectively the direction that Wells are going, and again, not sure that it'll all be ready with, with Wells 1.0, but the idea is that in theory, you should be able to place uh, orders on chain, which again, you can't frequently update. So how do you make it such that you don't have to frequently update it? Well, in a single order, you should be able to encapsulate or, or capture all of the data that you want to capture your position. And, and maybe even that position can change in real time based on certain data from oracles, maybe. So the idea is that traders can update their order where the order itself is like an n-dimensional, it's an n-dimensional set of functions or orders to exchange different assets for one another according to different parameters. And therefore, the only time that anyone would need to update the order is when there's a, a change to the 
algorithms that they're using to price different things as opposed to changes in the prices themselves. And so taking that leap uh, where the orders themselves can start to capture all of that information makes it such that you won't actually need to update your orders nearly as frequently. And so that's how you can start to get away from toxic flow. Uh, Now, you are going to have to potentially introduce some oracles into it. So, for example, you may need uh, the ETH price coming from somewhere else in order to price your orders in the Bean ETH pool. So there's some question of uh, centralization being introduced at some oracles uh, at the oracle level uh, for these orders. But that doesn't really affect Beanstalk, uh, if that makes sense. So you can have these these wells where the orders have have very sophisticated inputs, some of which are centralized data feeds, but but therefore you have these very sophisticated orders that don't require frequent updating. So that's basically the idea uh, for how wells deal with toxic order flow or can deal with toxic order flow. So. Thank you for that. And to our listeners, if you know I had more questions or any of this wasn't clear, please um, um, share it. But in summary, Publius, we're looking at you know creating some sort of an order book that is relatively automated or doesn't require you or doesn't require the user to constantly update it. Harry Smith uh, follows up on the wells and asks, do you expect it uh, to be done you know in 20, uh, 2022 or do you think it may extend beyond that? Uh, on this end, I pray, <laughs> I pray, uh, I pray it's done in 2022, but it, it's hard to say. Uh, I think from this end, it would be very surprising if it's not ready for audit uh, in 2022. Uh, unclear how long all of this will take for audit. And so uh, more and more recently, I've been trying to break break things up for audit into smaller chunks. So Maybe wells and pumps will go into audit sooner. And then uh, in the meantime, aqueducts and anything else that's necessary to be audited will be uh, developed or finalized. And then, uh, it, it, you know, it may be a little bit of a revolving door on getting multiple things audited. So not sure on exactly when it, everything will be ready for a bean ETH pool deployment, which I guess will be the, 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 the actual first implementation. But certainly hoping for 2022 but you can't rush it you know it takes uh, all you can do is just work hard so on this end it's certainly a focus and we're very excited about it and its potential for bean stock but also just not 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 in a we don't feel like it makes sense to to rush anything given that bean stock's doing pretty good bean stock's in a stable state and the only thing that can really, at least from our perspective, get Beanstalk off of its current track is another exploit or, or a problem with the contracts. And at least at its current state, obviously anything can change, but that's that's where things seem to be at the moment and therefore not inclined to to rush out a, a, a core piece of uh, beanstalk in the future, what we hope serves as a core piece of beanstalk in the future, uh, particularly with its own native Oracle system that isn't isn't as close to perfect as, as it can get. So uh, with that said, ho- certainly hoping for 2022. Okay, so a priority um, but you know um, as as long as long as it needs let's say or requires so the soonest but as but as long as it needs Bacchus uh, then asks what are aqueducts so we're kind of getting lost in the <laughs> all the terminology but the concept would be that aqueducts are effectively i i mean Maybe it's better if uh, Publius wants to hop up here and, and give you guys the the real technical specs. Not sure if they're in front of a a microphone because on this end won't be able to do it do it totally justice. Uh, maybe I'll give them ten seconds before I'll I'll give you guys a butchered answer. Oh, what's up, dude? Here we are. How's it going, Publius? Can you hear me? I can hear you. 
Awesome. It's going well, guys. Um, so, you know, Aqueduct is a Oracle registry system which will allow anyone to query the price of any arbitrary, you know, abstracted asset in another arbitrary abstracted asset. And when it comes to things like determining the BDV of a token or converting tokens into a liquidity pool, for all of these things to be kind of, you know, added automatically without having to write custom code, all of these things require some kind of work. In the case of depositing the Scilog, the question is, what is the value of the token I'm depositing? In the case of convert, the question is, how far, you know, what's the delta B in this? Um, and when it comes to minting, the question is, what does the average delta B open up this tower? And now, kind of, if we want Beanstalk to truly be able to scale to, you know, you know, liquidity with N tokens, you know, all on the minting, convert, and, you know, single whiteness, we need an Oracle system that's, you know, equivalently abstracted so that we can, you know, any, you know, any, you know, if, if a token gets whitelisted, an Oracle doesn't need to be added alongside it, it can just be aqueduct. And, you know, kind of from the metaphor perspective, the thought is that, you know, we have these wells, and in these wells are, you know, a bunch of different tokens, you know, the liquidity. And we have these, these pumps, which are Oracles, that are pumping information through the data feeds, you know, kind of relaying the data of what's, you know, in the wells as a function of time up to the aqueducts. And then the aqueducts connect different tokens, allowing people to kind of determine what is one worth in terms of the other. And so, you know, kind of, I guess, in short, it's an Oracle registry that allows any protocol to query the price of one token in the, you know, denominated in another token. Thank you, Publius. <clears throat> and and Bacchus, I hope that was uh, that was clear. Okay. Um, let's go to some questions from Wasabi. And they ask three questions. We're gonna start with the first one. So Wasabi says, I understand flash loans are still a pain spot for us, but as Beanstalk can issue beans as needed with a bean-specific flash loan, you know, where the user um, um, can mint infinite beans and then, you know, return them, will it, one, work in theory, two, unlock use cases for Beanstalk, and three, be overall beneficial or negative to the Beanstalk ecosystem? I think maybe the first question is, is, is the bean contract right, does the bean contract right now allow uh, bean flash loans? And then you not, know. not currently, but it does work in theory. Okay, so in theory, if uh, the bean contract allows uh, you know users to take fla bean flash loans, what do you think um, about that? Uh, would it unlock use cases for beanstalk, and then would it overall be beneficial or negative to the beanstalk ecosystem? So, the short answer is, it's unclear whether it's just a bean loan or whether it would be bean and stock and seeds what are any bean stock native asset that in theory if you can just borrow it for an instant and return it uh that that could and at some point likely should be facilitated by the contract uh yeah not sure exactly what use cases it unlocks for bean stock per se it would depend on the implementation but in general, I feel like flash loans are going to start to be pretty cool for Beanstalk. What, uh, what, again, all security aside, just from the, the notion of, let's take this fungible BDV token, for example. Uh, particularly once stock is trading, uh, instead of, there, there's typically going to be some slippage associated with minting these fungible BDV tokens because you have to get the the average season of deposit in line with the average season of deposit of the, the contract itself or there's some slippage. So there is very clearly some benefit in being able to take out a flash loan to, to borrow the right seasons of deposit, for example, from the contract such that there's less slippage for users. Again, the specific implementation details are a little bit fuzzy. But at a high level, feel like flash loans are a very cool piece of technology. Uh, 
it, you know, wouldn't necessarily call it uh, still a pain spot. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But uh, yeah, it's uh, certainly something that is a cool feature, but probably not t- top of mind to implement. But once you get the withdrawal freeze down to zero, you get a lot of the benefits from a flash loan from other protocols because you can uh, borrow assets uh, and deposit them in a silo, perform some arbitrage, and then immediately withdraw for a profit and then return the flash loan. So uh, the silo becomes a lot more arbable, and in theory, that whole market should start to become even more efficient. So it, it should be a positive development in theory to get the, the silo freeze to zero, and then you get the, the benefits of flash loans from other protocols, even if it's not implemented in Beanstalk. Yeah. And I think, generally speaking, uh, as long as uh, one has the ability to take a flash loan of an asset that's traded against Bean indirectly, or if you know, if you if you could take loans against everything that's traded against Beans, then you know, indirectly, you already took a flash loan of Beans or a Bean flash loan. Um, the second question then is, and in, 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 and they're referencing the DAO uh, or last DAO's uh, meeting. Um, with you know, uh, uh, when Root floated the possibility of applying uh, for a loan, um, they ask, "What do you think um, is you know uh, more beneficial or makes uh, more sense? Is it for the protocol and in this uh, case, Beanstalk to act as the lender, or for farmers themselves uh, to be the lenders?" So, to be perfectly frank, not really a fan of the concept of lending to centralized parties where there's trust involved in general, it's, it's not perfect. Uh, from an economics perspective, feel like the, the, the idea to have Beanstalk lend capital to parties is very interesting, but in particular feel like it's, it's probably not appropriate until there's a lot more infrastructure that exists on chain to facilitate these loans to happen with much less risk to Beanstalk. So what that would look like in practice perhaps is if, if, if a loan was made to, to root, whether it's from Beanstalk or from silo depositors. And, and again, the economic idea of having Beanstalk make the loan is very compelling. The concept would be those beans should be held in a contract, uh, call it a, 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 I guess it's not a CDP because there wouldn't be any collateral, but it would be, hey, you could call it a CDP because the beans are the collateral. Where again, once the loan is made into this CDP, the assets and liabilities are matched the point is there could be some on-chain restrictions on behavior uh, or, or, or accepted transactions that the CDP allows such that at most, at any given point, the liquidation value of the CDP could only at most uh, ex- you know, decrease by, let's call it 10%. So there's some wiggle room where Beanstalk is willing to accept some loss uh, if, if, if Root's unprofitable in market making, uh, but at, at a base layer, uh, it, it would facilitate Root to use beans that were borrowed to make markets, and the contract can ensure that the value in the contract is basically up only within some margin for error. And then the real thing that you have to figure out is how to prevent, uh, assuming that you can get it down where there is some margin for error, how to prevent leakage where root doesn't just, you know, let's say it's a 10%, just take 10% of the loan, send it to some, some contract or some wallet that they own and then, you know, get liquidated for the other 90%, let's call it. So there certainly would have to be some restrictions on the CDP and what, what are valid transactions, but high level feel like it's a pretty cool, it's a it's a cool idea to have Beanstalk be the lender, and then the question is, how do you facilitate the the safe use of those loans where there's no or minimal risk to Beanstalk? So that's 
yeah, probably not a fan of doing it to centralized parties per se, uh, but but was definitely a fan of the idea from an economics perspective and feel like it's it's collectively pointing us all in the right direction. So uh, I hate to use that twice in the same class, but there has been a lot of really incredible data recently to, that that does serve as relevant information to guide us on on where we should all be going and what we should be building here. So uh, definitely want to shout them out for for presenting it. And yeah, it was, it's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. And I guess we're coming, you know, full circle here um, with all loans uh, have a risk. And in today's example, or in FTX in, in specific, showed that even, you know, a collateralized loan may not really, you know, have value. All right, the last question from Wasabi is, say that Beanstalk grows to scale and it becomes a de facto stable you know, of DeFi. Um, and here he says that you know, since Beanstalk uh, or Bean derived its value uh, from three curve, what if, you know, if it outgrows? Uh, he says USDC, but you know, let's say it's three curve. How, how would then Beanstalk, you know, if it outgrows it, where would it uh, bring its value from? And I think this maybe brings us to like, you know, the same discussions or similar discussions that we've had earlier is, you know, what happens when Beanstalk outgrows, you know, the whole Ethereum network. Yeah, so there is some sense that at true scale, and again, this is all in theory and we could be totally wrong and none of this could may happen. But it, if you play it out in theory, the yield from beans for providing liquidity should start to create demand for other assets. And we're at the limiting case where there's we've run out of other stables. Uh, Beanstalk uh, has run out of stables to attract, to provide liquidity. And so there's lots of ETH or staked ETH that is being traded against beans as well. And so you may end up having some sort of positive reflexive cycle where the ETH price increases significantly because that's sort of the only asset that can grow infinitely on ethereum is the the value of ether itself or the aggregate value of ether itself and so if there's demand for beans in excess of the market cap of ether and all the value on ether and you assume that converts are well incentivized uh you'd probably expect that aggregate bean demand to to translate into demand for ether. And so then you have a positive reflexive relationship between beans and ether. And to be frank, if if 90% or 99% of the value at, at true scale of, of, of the value trading against beans or liquidity trading against beans is ether itself, now Beanstalk doesn't really, it doesn't look much different than luna did and that's kind of ugly to say but it's true that then then a lot of the value of the asset itself is derived from some closer to an equity token that is the value comes from future expected demand and from transaction fees and if the main demand for eth was from beans and now it looks like beans are collapsing uh that's in what could be a reflexive positive cycle Certainly, you'd expect it someone to reflect uh, to to unwind uh, in a downward reflexive way. And so, one of the ideas that has been floated previously in class or previous class is the idea of having beanstalk issue or a complementary beanstalk, uh, like a, a different beanstalk itself, uh, but probably it would be the same beanstalk issue negative e. Uh, or anti-ETH that had some 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 way that at scale could actually hedge Beanstalk's exposure to Ether itself. Uh, that idea isn't totally fully fleshed out, but these are these are the types of things that need to be thought about at at true scale, and it's unclear how how that will be resolved. Okay. The next question uh, comes from Mixo, Mixolite, Mixolidian or Mixolidian, uh, and they ask, is there planned support for multiple networks uh, to spread Bean elsewhere? 
Yeah, so I've been talking a lot about well, first off, it depends what you mean by other networks. Uh, do you mean like L2s or do you mean Solana? Uh, if if you mean Solana... Why not answer both? Yeah, so if you mean other other chains entirely, other, other networks entirely, uh, at least on this end, haven't, haven't focused too much on that. Feel like the cross-network bridges are quite quite a ways away from being at, at the place where you'd really be comfortable. And again, it's not up to us. Anyone can, can build the tech and, and try to deploy it and get the data approved, the necessary changes. But from our perspective, not in a rush to, to, to expose Beanstalk to the cross network risk, uh, cross network bridge risk. We're, we're not inclined to spend much time, working on that but if you ask about l2s we're highly enthused about getting uh beanstalk value on l2s and not sure exactly when that will happen but for example there's pipeline which has been under audit the hope is to deploy a version of pipeline in the next week or so to help facilitate a better ux uh, uh around the the World Cup stuff that Root's working on. So we recently were kind of asking the question around what would it take to get pipeline live where you can start to do stuff to and from, uh, I guess really from L1 into L2 through pipeline in a single transaction. And it would require... I mean, there, there's some development that would be required around that, but it's it's within grasp, and so the hope would be to have 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 some sort of L two functionality in the next couple months. Let's call it. I mean, don't think that's out of out of the realm of possibility. Not sure exactly who's going to work on it, but on this end, I've been starting to think about how that would be architected, and happy to talk to anyone that wants to build it or. Uh, you know, on this end, we may get around to building it at some point as well, but just definitely feel like uh, getting BDV on L2s is possible sooner rather than later. First step L2, later on, Bean Chain. Yeah, Bean Chain is. Jeez Louise. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look back to this day or, you know, these discussions maybe later. Um. Okay, we are at the end of the uh, questions in the town hall chat. Uh, let's give it maybe a minute to see if others have other questions. And you know, and in the meanwhile, a reminder to everyone uh, you know who's here, or maybe they would listen to this uh, class later, is that bit uh, twenty, uh, bit twenty nine is live, and it's around ten million uh, stock uh, uh, shy away uh, away from um, from passing. Um, so you know, if you haven't voted, uh, you know, this is the time to do so. And BIP29 is uh, version 2 of the pod marketplace. All right. Thank you all for joining us in today's class. Publius, as always, thank you for taking time to answer all questions. And we'll see you all next week.